Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the words of that song. What a powerful song it is. Father, I pray that we, as we sing that maybe throughout the week, Father, that we really can mean it as well. Father, thank you for the fact that we can be here on Father's Day. You really set the perfect example for us on what a father needs to look like. So we give you all the praise. Father, I do ask that you be with the other fathers in this room, Father, that they look to you of how to lead, how to lead spiritually, their families, in their workplaces, in their homes, Father, in their, their hobbies with their friends. Father, help them to look to you. Thank you for your word as well, as you teach us through the, the book of Acts, Father. Thank you for what we can learn from them and their and the young church in action, Father, as we look at our own young church in action and as we celebrate. Father, I pray that you speak through me this morning. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. Father, and that we won't just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. And it's wonderful, as uh, Barry mentioned, there's a lot of great things going on here uh, this morning at Christ Church. Uh, It is Father's Day, and what a wonderful opportunity. uh, Just let me make note that to have baptisms on Father's Day. How powerful is that 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 fathers can stand up and say, yes, we want to raise our children up in the Lord. It's powerful. And we are celebrating that this morning. And as, we, as we've mentioned that we've been celebrating various ministries that we've been uh, partnered with here at Christ Church, Silver Ring thing being one. I know most of you know that that's near and dear to my heart. That's a ministry that I worked with for uh, about 10 years. You know, Silver Ring actually started in Yuma, Arizona, but came here to Christ Church in the year 2000 with Denny, and I was a youth pastor here, and my wife was here as well, and my wife took on the director of Silver Ring thing, and so we thought, hey, let's have a Silver Ring thing event right here at our church because it was successful in, uh, in Arizona. So let's do it right here at the youth ministry. So I know that uh, Deb was there and I was there. We, we did it right in the, in the barn, which is the building next to the farmhouse over there, which used to sit right where you're sitting. And uh, we, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we prayed. We asked the Holy Spirit, hey, move us with this message. We pray for a filling of your, of your presence. And I remember that very first Silver Ring thing event. We came in, we opened the doors, and it was just wall-to-wall people, jam-packed full of people. It was a high-tech multimedia program where we were going to talk to, to students about waiting till you're married to have sex, and then we'd give the gospel message. And I remember being amazed because here we are telling kids not to, not to have sex, kids in puberty, and they're all celebrating and excited at the end of the night. We thought, that's crazy. And people coming to Christ, we thought, man, this is, this is just powerful. And I remember looking at that video as we just watched and kind of came back to me, the flood of memories, and I thought, man, how exhausting that was for us, being on a tour bus and going around from city to city to city every day and doing that. And I thought the only way we could have done that was through the power of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit. He really moved. In every event we had, we would pray before the event. God, we pray for your presence. We pray for your filling. Speak through us. And kids' lives, their hearts would be changed. Commitments were made. It was powerful. And it continues to do so. So, And Christ Church, you need to uh, celebrate that because it really birthed out of here. This is where it expanded and grew. started here and then it went to South Carolina. And then somebody from South Carolina from Florida came and said, hey, can you bring the event here? And then from there we went all over the country. And that SEND team that we had that Spencer talked about, 13, there's, every year there's a different group of 13 folks that come. Some are the same, some roll off, some we get new every year. And for 20 years, 
We have these students come being missionaries for a year, giving up a year of their life to go and to tour and talk and fight this battle. And it's interesting that Spencer talked about uh, uh, getting married, meeting his wife on the uh, tour team. It's always interesting to me, and we, Deb and I reminisce, that there's been a dozen or so folks from the tour team that have actually gotten married to each other from being on tour. In fact, there was one girl who was single on tour with us one year. Her name was Courtney. And uh, during one of the, the talks, we, uh, she was talking to all these students. We were on the West Coast, I think in Oregon, somewhere in California. And she said, at the end of her message, she said, if my husband's out there, I'm waiting for you. And she walked off the stage and went right back to the back. And the guy at the tech booth stepped out and said, I'm your husband and I'm waiting for you. They ended up getting started dating and now they're married to this day. Powerful. I think the moral of that is if you're single and uh, you want to go on tour with Silver Ink Thing, now's your opportunity. But there was growth and we saw that. We saw the spirit moving. The only way we could have done that was with the Holy Spirit. But there's also persecution, as we're seeing here in the book of Acts. There's persecution. There's persecution all over the place. The Holy Spirit kept, kept moving, kept using us, kept using the ministry. Hearts and lives were changed, and it kept and continued to grow. Even the outward persecution. A few weeks ago, if you remember, we were talking about uh, in the book of Acts where Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were saying, don't share the message anymore. We felt that same thing throughout those years. The culture saying, do not share this message. Making fun of us or telling, trying to silence our message. I remember we had one media coverage one time and talking about the growth of how the Holy Spirit can continue to move. We were on the media one time and it was a really negative uh, coverage of Silver Ring thing. And, and it, was, it was pretty saddened because you know, they were talking about trying to silence our message. And there was a fellow from uh, South Africa, Johannesburg, who uh, worked with a ministry out there turned the tide and said, you know what, we want to have that ministry of silver anything come to our, our country, as negative as it was. Six months later, we found ourselves in the middle of Johannesburg doing these silver anything events, training a team over there. And it was powerful because we might have done three or four uh, ministries, uh, three or four events a week. The, the AIDS epidemic was so bad over there, they were doing three or four events a day. They would just go from school to school to school to school. It's powerful. So the Holy Spirit used the persecution that we even felt to continue the message. Because we kept on. We said, we know, we've got to tell this message. We can't be silenced. And we see this through Acts, too. Constantly there's persecution from without, isn't there? Not only does the, does the devil, and we know this for a fact, not only does the devil work from persecution from without, there's persecution from within, too. And we see this in, our, in our, our, our text today. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, we, we see not only uh, in, the, in the, the, the beginning of the chapter, persecution from the Sanhedrin. Now, now there's persecution from within, from Ananias and Sapphira, people that are believers, people from within. So Satan tries to attack without, tries to divide the church. Now he's going to attack from within. And we had felt that too, a silver ring thing. You've got you to keep pressing on. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. And we know... The consequences of sin in the church is, is often more devastating. Persecution from within is often more devastating. Paul talked about this often, that he grieved that the people within the church were the ones dividing the church. He talked about in Galatians 1 that they were perverting the gospel. And so I think as we, as we already read that narrative, uh, that passage, I think there's a lot of lessons that we can apply uh, to our own church. I think one of the things that I really got out of as I've been studying this, this passage is, was a, a good reminder for me as a leader. 
of how we can apply this passage is really what, what Peter did when, when sin came up, when Ananias and Sapphira lied. What did he do? He addressed it head on. He took it head on. He didn't let it foster. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He addressed it head on. It's one thing, you know, being a church, being a pastor, being a leader, there's going to be sin. And we've got to be able to address it head on, face it, confront it. That's what I love about what Pastor Barry does in counseling, myself and counseling. People come in and they're obviously they're living lives of sin. We've got to confront it. We've got to say, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. You're, you're living wrong. Peter's saying to Ananias and Sapphira, you lied. You lied, and not, not only to men, but to God. We've got to confront it. And when, we, when it's confronted this way, when it's confronted this way, we can see that the Holy Spirit's going to continue to move, continue to move. We didn't read this far in the passage, but in uh, verse 14 of Acts 4, uh, 5, if you have your Bibles, it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers every day. I think it's interesting that, you know, they used to talk about, you know, in Acts 2, it was 3,000 were added. And then Acts 4, it was 5,000 were added. Now they're not even numbering them because there's just so many people. Holy Spirit's really moving, isn't he? And it's powerful. And you can see really the birth of those things. It's interesting to notice, we've talked about Silver Ink thing. You know, it's been 20 years for them. Urban Impact, we looked at last year, last week, it was 20 years for Urban Impact, too. Christ Church, we're celebrating, what, 20 years. I wonder what happened back in 1995. The Spirit really must have been moving. And I hope, church, that people can look back 20 years from now at our own church and say, man, Christ Church in 2015, what a powerful movement that must have been. What a powerful thing that was happening in that church. The Holy Spirit was really moving amongst them. That's my prayer. So, you know, the things that we can apply from this passage, not only do we need to deal with sin, but my encouragement is, is how do we, uh, dealing with sin is really a a reactive response to sin. How can we be proactive? How can we be proactive like this church? How do we do that? How do we, how do we move forward? How do we continue to expand and grow? How do we be proactive? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Lessons that we can learn from the early church. See, it's, it's important that we look at the end of chapter 4. A lot of folks will look at chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and forget chapter 4 altogether. Well, chapter 4 is the proactive response of the church, what they were doing to grow. And as we see there, lessons from the early church. First off, we understand that the church had spiritual unity, didn't they? Spiritual unity. If you have your Bibles, verse 32, it says, All the believers were, what? One in heart and mind. They had spiritual unity. Spiritual unity. You know, Philippians 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness if compassion, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by what? Being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit, and one mind. That early church had one spirit, one mind. They were so preoccupied with ministering to each other first that, and meeting each other's needs that nobody had a desire for gratifying their own desires. Nobody was out for selfish gain. They were of one spirit, one mind. John 13, 35 says, But everyone will know that you are my disciples if what? You love one another. Church, I hope that people in our community look at our church and go, Man, we know that they're disciples. We know they're followers because they really do love one another. 
See, the folks in this early church had a, had a humility stemming from the fact that their relationship to Christ was more important. That their love for others was more important than themselves. They had one mind. That's why the end of Philippians says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in what? Humility. Value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but the interests of others. So first, they had one mind, one spirit. They were, had a spirit they had a spiritual unity. What, what was the second thing they had? The second thing they had is they had a focus on evangelism. Look at verse 33. It's kind of, like, kind of like stuck in there between 32 and 34, talking about each other's needs. What does it say? With, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord, Jesus. And much grace was upon them. Much grace was upon them. Not only did they have a spirit of unity, one mind, but they really had the spirit. They had the focus of Christ, didn't they? Focus on reaching the lost world. Reaching the world for Christ. Sharing the gospel message. As we looked um, back a few few, uh, weeks ago, as Peter was talking to the Sanhedrin, what did he say? He said, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're saying, listen, Peter, you you can't keep talking about Christ. And he says, I can't help but speak about it. And we see it again right here, constantly talking about it. They had the mind of Christ. That was their focus. That was their focus. Ed Glover talked last week as he was talking about urban impact. What did he talk about? He talked about Jesus was staying on mission. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to God, to the other towns, because what? This is why I was sent. That early church had not only focus of unity, but a focus on evangelism. That was their thing. It's one thing with Silver Ink thing. That was always our focus. It wasn't just about talking to students about waiting till you're married. That wasn't always the focus. Our focus was evangelism. Our focus was that. That's what we prayed every night. God changed the hearts. We would tell kids every night, listen, do not make this commitment. Do not put on this silver ring if you're not going to make a commitment to Christ because we don't think that you're going to be able to make it. Why? Because you need to have a commitment with him. He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you the resources to carry out through this commitment. Why? And he's the one who tells us to wait in the first place. You've got to make a commitment to Christ. So we always pray for that. Always focus on evangelism. I think if we would have focused just about the intimacy about waiting till you're married, I think we would have failed miserably. The idea that we focused on Christ, hearts and lives were changed, and the Spirit moved. What does it say in verse 33 of Acts? It says, the grace was upon them all. God's grace, God's favor. Understand that when we share our, when we share our testimony, when we share about the gospel of Christ, God's favor comes upon us. We are not changing hearts. The Holy Spirit changes hearts. And that's the power that we can receive. We are just vessels sharing the message. The Holy Spirit's going to be the one that comes in. He's the one that gives us favor. He's the one that changes hearts. A lot of us are fearful of, of telling folks about Christ, sharing, sharing what Christ did on the cross. Because they're not sure how, how the people are going to respond. And I, and I say to you, that's not really up to you how they're going to respond. Our job is just to be faithful and obedient to go. Have a focus on evangelism. Have a focus on evangelism. Not only did they have a spiritual unity, not only did they have a focus on on Christ, but what? They had a love for each other, didn't they? A love for each other. Verse 32, no one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. And a result, verse 34, there was no needy person among them. I looked at that and went, wow, how powerful would that be? To have a church where there was not one needy person. 
That's amazing. It's powerful. That's why we try to develop ministries here to really meet the needs of folks in our congregation. One of the things that I love about what our church does is a, uh, specifically is a widow's ministry. We have a, we have a big focus on the widows. And uh, I know Mike Davis, our men's ministry, our men's ministry team, uh, really that's, that's their mission, to go and reach and help them uh, meet needs. And so from time to time they'll go from houses, that, uh, widows in our church, and fix walls or fix driveways or do something within the house. It's a, it's a selfless thing because we don't want anybody to be in need. James 2.15 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good is it? We need to go and, and meet each other's needs. The apostles put it a little bit more bluntly, don't they? In 1 John 3, they said, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, then, then how can the love of God be in that person? See, in order, to, in order to, to love others, we first got to love God, don't we? We can't just love others uh, abstractly. We have to first love God. So we first have to have a focus on him. Then we can have a focus on others. So not only did that early church, they were proactive. They had, they had one spirit, one mind. They had a focus on evangelism. They also had a focus on a love for each other. But fourthly, they were authentic. They were authentic. I think that's what we can learn. You know, as we look at this passage, we, we look in verse 34 of a, of a man, a good example of somebody, uh, a Joseph, who was called Barnabas, who was a good example of somebody that was authentic, authentic in their love of others, authentic and really wanting to serve God, sold some property, gave it to, his, gave it to the, the apostles for distribution. And then we have a bad example, don't we? This is where the sin comes in. This is where the persecution comes in. Ananias and Sapphira. Folks that weren't authentic. And what did they do? They, they sold some property. They gave part of the proceeds. They said it was all the proceeds. See, the sin was, was just really the, the... There was an outward manifestation. It was a sin. But understand that the inward manifestation of their sin was really a, a selfishness and a hypocrisy. See, they try to look better than others in, in, in two different ways. They try to look better materially. I'm going to store this stuff up. We're going to keep part of this for ourselves. Why would you do that? Why? So we can look better, so we can have nicer things, so we can do more things with that. They tried to look better materially, didn't they? They stored up their own treasures. Luke warns us about that in Luke 12. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes. Where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I always tell folks the location of a person's schedule and the destination of their finances really tell about the true condition of someone's heart. So my question is you, for you is, what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your resources? And are you giving credit to God? They were trying to look better materially. Not only were they trying to look better materially, Ananias and Sapphira, but they were trying to look better spiritually too, weren't they? Let me do this good thing. Look at us. We are doing this wonderful thing here. Look at the good I've done. 
lot of folks do this. They try to, they'll try to, to, to do things, and they want everybody to look at them. Jesus kind of talks about that when he was criticizing the Pharisees, the kind of hypocritical, talking about praying in secret, praying in private. Talked about don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And in a sense, you don't have to show everybody what you're doing all the time just to make yourself look good spiritually. A lot of folks do that. A lot of folks do that. And try to, try to look good. One author said, there's none so ugly in God's sight who, who flaunt a spiritual beauty they do not possess. Ananias and Sapphira were nothing more than sinners feigning spirituality. They were selfish, self-focused. Any sin against the fellowship of believers is a sin against God. So they were, they were trying to look better materially. They were trying to look good spiritually. So how do we apply this to our own church? What, what, what's the takeaway? Yes, we understand as leaders, we need to be reactive. When sin comes in, we need to address it. We need to tackle it head on and confront it and condemn sin. But how do we be proactive as a church? How do we be proactive? How do we have the same one mind? How do we really love our neighbors? Love the people around us to, to meet their need. Well, I think this verse that sums up this whole thing is Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the heart is really the core of one's being, isn't it? Proverbs says to watch over your heart with all diligence for it flows the springs of life. We know what, when people talk and how they act, we know that that's a heart issue. The term soul is what we refer to as the motion. The emotion. Jesus used this in the garden. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. And the mind is the might. It's the intellectual, willful determination to do something. The energy and strength. This is what the church had. What was the one mind, one spirit that they had? Love the, Lord, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we love others because of what God has done for us. He sent his son to die in our place. We don't need to... When we look at Ananias and Sapphira... I think one of the things that they were doing is, listen, I'm going to look better spiritually. Look at the good I'm doing, but their heart wasn't in the right spot. Trying to earn things. Trying to earn favor, weren't they? Many of us live lives where we're trying to just do good. We're faking our spirituality. Look at me. I'm doing these good things. And I've got to tell you, if, if you're in here and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, understand, and you're trying to earn your way to salvation. Understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Not what we do. Not the acts that we do. So that what? No one can boast like Ananias and Sapphira. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we have to understand, first off, if you've never made that commitment, never made that commitment, you're trying to earn your way, trying to do good things to try to earn your way to salvation, understand that it's only by grace that we're saved through faith. Since for God so loved the world, he, what? he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So my encouragement, don't leave this place without first making that commitment, saying, you know what, God, I'm a sinner. I can never earn my way. 
It's not about how much I do or have or give away or, or do the good deeds that I do. It's nothing about that. It's about your grace. So I ask you to forgive my sins. Thank you for dying for me. Forgive me. I want to make you the Lord of my life. It's as simple a prayer as that. And see, once we get to a point where we understand how much God did, he's sending his son, and that Christ died for us in our place, and that he loves us unconditionally. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we have. It's not about the good works that we do. Then we can live humbly and realize, you know what, we're all equal in God's sight. And so I'm going to love that person next to me. I'm going to love the people in my church. And I'm going to try to meet their needs because it's not about what I have. Everything I have is from God. So then I can give it away. My time, my talents. And that's what pushes us to tell others about Christ too. It's not about getting to a point of selfish ambition or vain conceit and living, boasting a life like Ananias and Sapphira. We love the people around us, the people in our church. Why? Because Christ first loved us. So that's my prayer for us as a church. That we have the same mind same heart, that we have a focus on Christ, focus on evangelism, and a focus on others in a humble way, putting others before us. We're going to sing a song here in a moment called Rise Up, O Men of God, and it's a powerful song as we talk about Father's Day, but the first line of that verse, have done with lesser things, give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you can teach us in your word. Father, I do pray for our own church, Father, that we have that same mindset that first is on you and what you've done for us. And then secondly, a selfless attitude when it comes to those around us, Father. Help us to have that same love that you've showed us Father, help us to be bold and determined as Peter was here, as apostles were, to proclaim your name of things they've heard and seen. Father, as we leave this place, help us not to be ashamed of that. Help us to be bold and determined. And Father, if there's anyone in this room, Father, I pray that they come to know you, that maybe they haven't. And if you are in this room, it's as simple as saying, Father, I know that I have sinned. I know that you sent your son to die in my place. So I ask that you forgive me and cleanse me of my sin. I know it's nothing that I can earn on my own. So thank you for saving me. I want to make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for coming in and leading me. And Father, if there's some in that room that prayed that prayer, Father, I pray that they feel that change on this Father's Day. So as they leave this place, they can look to you as their spiritual father. Thank you for this time. Be with us. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.